0: This is Tommy's Outdoors 85, and today uh, we're going to talk about climate change, or more specifically, about a book about climate change. Uh, The title of the book is Time or Tide, Ireland and Climate Change. And our guest is uh, author of the book, Ben Harkin. Now, uh, let's take one second and let me introduce uh, Ben. Ben is a 19-year-old student who had a lot of time during the lockdown. So he decided to write a book. Now, just let that sink in. I have a lot of time during the lockdown. I'm going to go ahead and write the book. Not only did he write a book, he also self-published that book. And um, I must say, I've been blown away. Uh, if not for anything else, by the amount of research that went into that book, there's a big section at the end of Endnotes with the links, uh, of, with the references, really, uh, to uh, articles, books, government documents, uh, what have you. So um, during these couple of months of, of the lockdown, um, number of months of the lockdown, he uh, researched the topic, wrote a book, and self-published the book. Um, it, it, it is remarkable. It is remarkable. And if you still in the lookout for a present, for a Christmas present, Christmas are coming, so you may think what to buy, uh, for, for your, um, close relatives, uh, hint, hint, go ahead and buy that book. It's available obviously on Amazon, but I would encourage you to buy in the local shop. And we talk about in the podcast, where is the best way to buy that book. So, uh, you can support Ben the most. It is, it is really well published. It is beautiful laid out. Um really quality product. It, it, it feels good in the hand. It's not one of those books that say, oh it's gonna fall apart. No, it's solid. Um and it, it, it really comprehensively talks about climate change. And and uh yeah, I I I I'm not gonna say anything now that we already say in the podcast, and I'm not gonna spoil the book for you, and we're not gonna spoil the book for you in the podcast. Um, so uh, I, I hope you will uh, enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoors. And as always, before I let you enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoors, just a reminder that this podcast is available on YouTube if you're listening to this on the audio version only. So you can go to YouTube, subscribe to Tommy's Outdoors' YouTube channel, any and all podcasts, any old Tommy's Outdoors uh, podcasts are there, plus a lot more. And now, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen... Time Nor Tide with Ben Harkin.
1: Tommy, it's great to see you. Thanks very much for having me. It's great it's, to be here.
0: It's my it's my pleasure, and and I'm always happy to uh, talk with uh, young, ambitious people who want to do something and and want to, you know, go out with their with their message. And people already know because I already said it in an in introduction to this podcast. You wrote a book, and. You you know, you you done something like you wrote a book during the lockdown. Like to me, it just it's just mind like tell me just tell me like what made you to write a book and how it's even possible to write a book in the time span of a couple of months.
1: So I suppose it was that a couple of things just kind of all happened at once. So in March, I read this book. I was reading this book, The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells. It's a fantastic read. It's all about the impacts of climate change. And it had this one fact in it that by 2100, 150 million more people will die of air pollution at two degrees of warming than at 1.5 degrees of warming. And that really that really hit me, you know, um, when I read that there. And I finished it up in the middle of March. And at that stage, I'd come home from college because of, you know, restrictions were coming in. And I didn't really have an awful lot of online classes or anything. So I had an awful lot of time in my hands and I had this motivation. And I think when you get an idea in your head that maybe I, I could do something, maybe I could make an impact here where others couldn't, I think it's very hard to morally turn away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been writing now for a couple of years, really since I was doing the leave Cert. And I'd, I'd like to think I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. So I suppose... You know, I felt I had the skills that I could do it. I had a motivation and I had time on my hands. We all just came together very nicely in March uh, right. to give me enough time to do it. Yeah.
0: And how long Like, how long was uh, the, the writing process itself versus everything that needs to happen after that? Because you also self-published that book.
1: Yeah, yeah, self-published f- published it. So the first draft of the book was finished on the 12th of June. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, the first draft of the book was, it was terrible. It was really, really bad. Um, it took about a month of just, it took about a month of just reading um, as well. So just from about April to June, uh, just doing the first draft. And that's like pulling teeth. So it is looking at a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. It's its a horrible feeling. So it is kind <laughs> of get there. So then from June to really the middle of October, I was um, editing and editing and editing. And that's not a whole lot of fun either. There's not a lot of fun to any of us. So there is, mm-hmm. but um, I was working on the book really right up until about two weeks before it was published. And wow. on the 22nd of October, you know, I just put the files in on the day I had to for the publishing date. Um, so I was, I hoped, you know, to publish it with like a big name brand. That was kind of what I was hoping. And I finished up what I thought was gonna be the last draft of the book in August. And I'm, I was uh, away away for a weekend and I was with my granda and he I was down where he's from, down low in Donegal. And he pointed out this thing, there's this beach uh, down in Mahari, And he says that when he was young, him and his family used to walk along a road to school. And that road was on that beach and you know, I never knew it existed. Mm-hmm. And it was just, there's something such an that left such an impact on me about the force of the sea. I never knew this was even there. Yeah. So I think I just felt I wasn't going to wait until a publisher came to me. Now I know this is important. I think I just had to get it out there. So it took a while to figure out how to design a cover and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, we got there. It was very busy during the summer. I was working a couple of different jobs and all that. But mm-hmm. we got there in the end. I think I might need more hobbies. I think that's yeah. what I've learned from it.
0: <laughs> no man and, and congratulations on that and uh for all you people listening to that the book is available on amazon and and uh probably more, more uh so like where where people can can get your book other than amazon well yes. okay what what would be the way to get that book that would be most beneficial to you
1: <laughs> you can just send me cash that'd be great, that'd be <laughs> great. <laughs> Uh, no, so it's it's at the minute uh, available on Amazon. And if you're in Donegal, it's available in Bookmark and Letterkenny as well. So at the minute I'm working, I'm trying to get it out to a few more stores. Um, But at the minute that's in Bookmark and Letterkenny and, on Amazon. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. It, um, it's not really a great feeling giving an awful lot of money to Amazon. You know, I know that especially from an environmentalist point of view, but I suppose with self-publishing, you're just limited. And that yeah, yeah.
0: I mean like the, the plus side is that you get access to so so much bigger audiences, so big market having it on Amazon, you know, because like yeah, I definitely. guess like most people the first first thing that comes to their head if they want to get booked, like even see how the cover looks like, they look it up on Amazon. And once they yeah. have it in front of them, they can click and you know, I guess uh, you, you're not planning to become rich based on that book you just want to get your message out and uh, so I guess you know I wouldn't have any any uh, you know holding anything back, having it on Amazon you know it's like it's, it's, it's,
1: it's great yeah, thought, no yeah that is a great bit about Amazon I suppose with the Kindle and everything you know mm-hmm. there's people in America reading it there's people in Canada reading it Yeah, uh, which I never expected but it's a great it's a great feeling yeah. to see it out there
0: listen um you're you mentioned uh, in the book something like that—the the, the impact uh, that has, so maybe before we go to that, you know, I'm, I am I was wondering how to approach this podcast because on on one hand I I really don't want to be all doom and gloom and and you know like a like a uh, give like a a little bit of a positive message uh, uh really and and then on the other side i you know i don't want to be like ah, it's just it's sure everything will be grand you know don't like, worry about it like yeah don't worry about it so that's not the, so i'm i'm you know i was thinking how to approach this but uh, part of you even said is is said it in the book that the impact it had on you like when you wrote when you when you were finished with the book and you're you know kind of loaded your head in, a, in a, a lot of, you know, not too positive information.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely, it it was an exhausting task dealing with the amount of information when you're looking at the impacts of climate change. Um, and I think I suppose I was only looking at maybe the worst data or the worst, I was thinking I'm ahead of the worst possible case, but I think it definitely, when you look at climate change, it can seem, overwhelming and it can seem like what is the point of it all on our small scale on even the small scale of our country but what I wanted to do with the book is explain to as many people as I could that the solutions are there you know it's not like we're waiting on some technology to come it's not like you know now we're waiting on a vaccine we're waiting on these developments the technology that we have is there it's really just that we need to get the people that are in power to push it so you know i think that there is reason to be to be hopeful you know which i think is different than being optimistic but i think i I would describe myself as being hopeful because we do have the solutions there if you know now it is about getting people that can act to act Mm Mhm.
0: yeah and you're, you're obviously, you know, there are two types of people watching. Some people are watching this on YouTube. Some people are listening to that. So people who are watching you, they obviously see that you're, you're, you're younger. How old are you?
1: Uh, 19.
0: 19. Wow, man. So then I guess the, the worry is that you, you will be really, you know, in your, especially when you're going to be like an elderly person, that's, that's where it's really going to hit you, right? The Potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, I think maybe a problem with how we've talked about climate change is that it's this 2100 problem. It's Mm -hmm. the next generation or, you know, our grandchildren and stuff like that there. I think that's true. You know, we're definitely, we're leaving a harsher world for our descendants than we were given. Mm -hmm. But it is a problem that, you know, that we're feeling now and one that my generation is going to see in the future. You know, especially when you're looking at things like, say the um, Met Office in Northern Ireland says about by 2070. Pretty much every summer is going to be like the summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. And that's 2070. So as was now when we're getting more accurate modeling, we're seeing that in our generation, we're going to see an awful lot of impact. It isn't just miles down the road. Mm Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, I I guess that window is closing. Uh, It was like, oh, it's going to be... And it's going closer and closer. And then when the young people are coming, like you coming in, it's like, hey, you know, it's actually not next. Like, we are next generation and our I children are the very...
1: Just, gen- yeah. yeah so, taking the cam down the road because it's yeah. kind of been left. It feels a lot of the time like it's been that, you know, there's an awful lot of rhetoric of, you know, young climate activists and all this here as though I think magically when young people come up into politics, mm-hmm. it will be fixed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think that, You know, you you have to start now. There's a snowball effect to acting, and there's a snowball effect to not acting. You have to get the ball rolling as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, that's that's very well said. That's very well said. It's a snowball effect to not acting as well. So, so going back to
1: that, if I write another book, I might put that on it. No, that's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's So, so going back to my my original question was, did you had to you know uh kind of put everything away kind of reset your mind to not get depressed by all all this or did you kind of like a uh you know uh, come to peace with all that information how you know how how was it was it was it was it bad or did you have to take a time off or
1: yeah so like definitely by the time i got to around the end of august i was in i was in definite need of a of a break for a while um I think there's a huge amount of pressure writing the book, not only because, you know, everything has to be factually correct. You know, there's all the fact checking and all that there. But that if if someone thinks what I said was unrealistic, then that might tune them out for the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. And what I'm thinking is, like, say, maybe my friends and family and people I know that would have got the book just because they know me. It might be the only book they'll read on climate change because, mm-hmm. you know, most people don't read a lot about climate change. So I had to get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, not only did you know have to explain the impacts, but that it couldn't be so scary that it was, you know, mm-hmm. me scaremongering people. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't be so little that it's not worried about it. There's, it's a really tight, tight line to try and walk. And that there leaves an awful lot of pressure on me, especially you got to come up with solutions, but they got to be, you know, economically mm-hmm. sound as well. So it, it definitely did leave a huge impact on me and you know it it is a huge it was a huge amount of pressure I mean when it was released to, you know when the book was finished there's definitely a weight off my shoulders and a way that it's done it's out there you know yeah. I gave my best shot and now my I suppose maybe I have a different responsibility now and now it's about trying to get that message out there yeah
0: yeah no and one other question I have for you is like you mentioned there is a ton of information in a book. And I was quite frankly, I was blown away by the you know the 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 breadth of disciplines that you touched on. And 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 you the the, the book has a lot of references. So there is a huge you know at the end of the book everybody can go back go back go back and see what you what sources you're referencing and if you make a statement it's not like you know a man in Donegal makes a statement it's it's actually backed up by uh, either either publication or official statements or of scientific papers and so on how how difficult and how that process looked like of actually researching because I presume you you've gone through a ton of materials for writing this book
1: yeah so like I said it's been about a month just reading and what you know reading papers reading books uh watching talks online speaking to different people over the phone i have you know notebooks and folders just filled with notes you know and scraps Mm -hmm. of paper and i was always reading you know right up until i finished the last you know the last uh version of the book you know because there was ideas that you know heard all this book's really good i better check it out and mm-hmm. um, that was, I suppose, the pressure was because it's self-published. There's the barrier to me getting, you know, getting it out there is lower. So I think there's a tendency that people might think, "Well, he's a 19-year-old who just self-published a, you know, who self-published a book. Maybe it's not true at all." So I think it was very important that it had to be. Everything had to be backed up by it. Yeah. And that took about, you know, that was about a few days. At the end, just spent checking mm-hmm. and double checking everything. But yeah, I think it was really important that people knew that everything in it, mm-hmm. you know, was actually great. It wasn't just I heard this once from a guy or you know mm-hmm. on this. Yeah, yeah,
0: oh, it's, it's great. You know, you've, you're very aware that uh, because of your young age, people it, it will be like a people might be inclined to dismiss it, and and I think you did a great job on 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 backing up everything that you that you were saying. Listen, have you when you were researching, have you also paid attention to uh you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna use uh word climate deniers, uh you know, like a straight up wackos, but but people who have, let's say, alternative opinions or or criticizing certain like how how much you paid attention to these folks?
1: Yeah, I paid an awful lot of attention to that. That was, I made sure in the first chapter of the book that I wanted to hit a lot of them points out of the gate, you know, because I think, so I work in, when it's open, I work in a pub in Tehrman and there's kind of, you know, you would, I'd be sitting and I'd be listening and there'd be an awful lot of talk of, you know, um, that, ah, Ben, the climate's always changed. Don't worry about it or it's a, it's a myth, or it's not that bad, or, really. you know, it's always happened before. So I suppose I had in my head this list of, you know, of things that I've heard people deny, you know, that, or that have used to deny climate change. So I suppose I, I really felt it was important to get them arguments out of the gate. I think that for a lot of people that I would know, they mightn't, they mightn't maybe believe in climate change, not because they deny it, but just because they're, apathetic to it that, you know, they haven't heard really a lot about it before. Mm It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there is the the two sides of it that even people who say they don't believe in climate change doesn't really mean they deny it. Mm -hmm. It's just that they don't know enough about it to say that they can believe in it yet. But yeah, definitely just from speaking to people, you know, from speaking to friends, from relatives to, you know, people in Terman, I knew maybe what misgivings or what doubts people had and mm-hmm. that was why, you know, what I had to, uh, what I had to get right from the start. And I think that's one of the reasons why I felt that it, it was a responsibility of mine to write the book because I kind of had this awareness, yeah, of what people who gave out about the Green Party or environmentalists would have said. That you know, I thought maybe I could, you know, change yeah. a few minds. And if you can do that, yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you, I think you're you quite skillfully avoided uh, wading into this uh, conflict between, you know, like a deniers and alarmists. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I think it's, it's really not, not helpful. Uh, yeah. I, I think th- to having these kind of, and, and like in, in many aspects of life, we, we see this divide today, right? Like the, there has to be like a two sides and you're either on, on either side. um do you i'm I'm just wondering because you're obviously very deep in that like what what's your take on uh this like hard division like oh this guy is an alarmist right and and you go to the label and this guy is a denier and to some extent or to large extent that kills off a lot of important conversations uh that that needs to happen and you know it's not it's, it's not even who's right or wrong but it's about finding solutions and and you know hearing each other arguments how yeah. how big you think it's a problem that that people on the you know this quote-unquote opposing sides are really entrenched in their opinions and are not willing to talk with each other
1: yeah that's a good point polarization is definitely is definitely a huge problem now it's something that i think about a lot and i think we see it more on social media you know, I think when we're in our echo chambers in social media, mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. the, only, the only people we see from the other side are the deniers, are the people that kind of other people might share just to say, look yeah. at this, idiot, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> I think alarmists, are, <laughs> they're, alarmists aren't really helpful to the debate, even if they're, you know, agree that climate change is a problem because I think they only end up pushing people away. From the problem, you know, from the problem, I think I definitely didn't want to be painted as an alarmist Mm -hmm. when writing the book. I think that if you make the argument too much about, you know, denying or accepting climate change, you only, I think, increase the validity of people who deny it. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas at this point, you know, I, I can't remember where I read it, you know, that there's no real difference at the minute between people who deny climate change and people who accept it and don't act on it. I think there was a time for arguing over whether or not climate change is real. That was in the 1970s. After that, it was really a fact. I think now we just have to get on with, I think getting the messaging right, you know, is a critical part that I think we've really failed with in Ireland. Again, it's part of that. It's maybe it's a generational, you know, generation down the line problem, mm-hmm. or even the fact that, you know, you're going to be taxed back to the stone age, to save the flowers or something I got there. Yeah. No, it's not that it's about, the climate change is a problem. It's a problem to everybody. We don't, we don't want that to happen. I think the solutions that we have, the technology that we have can help us build a better future for all. And I think when you start focusing on them, kind of debates, mm-hmm. and I use the word debate because it's, you know, it's more important to get them in the arguments. You'll start winning people over, you know, yeah. I think there's polarization on both, you know, it's coming from both sides, definitely. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that these, these are, these are very good points. Um, Listen, I want to switch gears a little bit now and and dive into, into the book uh, and some of the, some of the points that you made in the book. Uh, I I must say, I love how the book was structured and and for, for different, different types of, and, and, and the first one you're, you're, you're dealt with. And I think that especially a lot of, People who are listening to my podcast and my, um, you know, followers, subscribers, listeners, viewers. There, a lot of them are farmers or, or in, a, in a with a farming background, and and you even, uh, I I I'm not going to quote it exactly, but you even said it about something like it's a, the, the greens, and versus the farmers, yeah. right? And oh man, that that is that is a mess, and I, that 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 must have been difficult subject to deal with because even farmers it's not like a this one homogeneous group of oh these are all farmers and they all think the same thing there there are different farmers and there are different they thinking and they're trying right we know there are farmers who are really care about the biodiversity a sustainability and, and all these things and then you have a like almost multinational massive big farm that has you know cattle farms across the globe and this is yeah quite different this is quite different um approach on the other hand uh i really do see um something that can can only come across as an anti-farming sentiment coming from you know certain again i don't want to generalize but you know, you got to generalize to some extent to not pick up on individuals, right? So it, it, yeah.
1: the,
0: the, there is there is this kind of like a, almost like an anti-farming strange personal agenda of some people and, you are you know, I'm reading uh, either online or, or on social media. It's like, why, like, are they even remember why they're doing this? It's always like, well, if there's a farmer saying something is for sure it has to be criticized. Um, yeah this this is this is really unfortunate right because farmers especially in ireland are the key to so many uh you know Mm -hmm. solving so many problems climate is one of them biodiversity's loss is another one of
1: them. yeah Yeah, then i think that you know that could be a a fair criticism of the book that maybe i do paint all farmers with the one brush but i think it's like you say sometimes it is useful to generalize when you're trying to when you're trying to talk about something I suppose, I think this might go back as well to like what I was saying about uh, social media and our echo chambers. Sometimes when you're maybe me on Twitter, it's easy to see, ah, uh, you know, Green Party don't, or, you know, people and environmentalists don't hate farmers or anything. They're just misunderstood. But that's why you have to get and talk to people, you know, who feel that way. Like that's, you know, my friend, James McFadden, who's in the book, he's been farming since he could walk, mm-hmm. you know, and like that's how he feels and you got to listen to that you got to understand why is that happening that you know this guy who works who's the hardest working person I know feels that you know people in the environmentalist movement really don't want him there at all and I, I think that's so sad especially you know like my grandfather's a farmer and all this here I live in Terman, I'm surrounded by fields mm-hmm. you know so like I think I'm definitely connected to that mm-hmm. it's 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 a huge problem, but it's like you say, farmers, you know, are, have so much potential to do, you know, to make changes, positive changes for biodiversity and for, you know, carbon action, stuff like that there, but it's like when I was talking to Jamie, he said, we're not, you know, we're not trying to pollute anything, you know, we want, you know, clean air and clean rivers and we want, you know, a safer Ireland, but sometimes, you know, it's a it's a harsh it's not a very well-paying job mm-hmm. profit margins are slim you're relying on subsidies so you have to do really what the subsidies are incentivizing and i think then for you know environmentalists to give out that this is that you're following what subsidies are incentivizing mm-hmm. i just think that's it's so unfair mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And,
0: and, and you're right you're right you, you get you get these extreme views being being thrown at each other always right it's never never some moderate view it's always like i'm gonna retweet i'm gonna repost or i'm gonna whatever Uh, get rid of
1: all the farmers or get rid of all the environmentalists that's yeah uh, yeah mm -hmm. and
0: and and, you know and the 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 other thing is um that the people that follow right so I, I see this this uh, offer of that you have a, a article or a post that says, you know, here are the problem with farming or with certain farming practices. Maybe that's a more accurate, right? It's not the problem with farming. There's a problem with certain farming practices yeah. because of methane or, or carbon or whatever the case might be. And on the foot of that, they're coming these, like, almost trolls, and they're like, yeah, get rid of all the farmers. Because like, I was like, no, 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 it's not what I said, right? I said that there's a problem with certain practice or with certain... Yeah, that's know, not
1: the same as a problem with farming or farmers. But, yeah, pe- people will look for what they agree with in it and they'll, you know, they'll just try and spin it that way entirely. Yeah. Like, I, like, there's this uh, fantastic book, uh, Waddled Away, about yeah. it in, in nature, and you know, like it, you know, it's it's something that that I see here that farmers incentivized to have grazable land under EU incentives. So they're not going to protect bogs. They're going to, you know, if they need to kind of burn hills to have grazable land, that's what's going to be done. It's like I say, it's a problem with farming practices that our government organisations are incentivizing. It's not a problem with farmers, you know. Jim McFadden isn't waking up at the start of the day going, "I'm going to release as much carbon as I can." <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to just <laughs> you, know, you know, my wake like doing that there. You know, that's the job, and you know, in the same way, we don't, we don't not like, you know, the postman that just arrived here because he's driving, a, you know, a diesel engine van or something like that. There, if you're if you're working in these kind of practices, that's just that's just part of it. We have to, you know. Change the practices. We're not trying to get rid. We shouldn't be trying to get rid of anybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's also like you know, if you want to, if you want to kind of virtue signal how how environmentally aware you are, you need to just shit all over, you know, like like you said, postman who drives a diesel van is like, oh, that's I'm like, well, really? Yeah, it's,
1: it's, yeah, I know. Yeah, there's there's so much that that isn't the fault of the individual person that mm. I think we. Yeah, it's like you say it's, A lot of it, I think, at times, is virtue. Signaling mm-hmm. that you know we're aware of this, mm-hmm. so we're in the right. You know, yeah. like, like I wrote a book on climate change. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. You know, like in the, I was in the summer, I was out in the bog, mm-hmm. bringing in the turf because mm-hmm. that's you know, yeah. if Dad tells me to go to the bog, I'm going to the bog. That's y- yeah. you know, and I think at times we, we can't expect so much from the individual mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. on this. I think it's just a. It's a, a rabbit hole that we go down. It's just, I think at times, you see social media, it's just nasty. I think a lot yeah. of times, I don't think we're, it's not working. As in, I don't think it's a way to reduce carbon emissions, but it's just bad politics as well. You're not winning yes. any more.
0: Yeah, because you're turning people away. You're, you're like any, anyone who would, who would even consider talking or thinking, there's like, oh no, they're just a bunch of wackos. I'm not even going to talk about them.
1: Exactly. And if I think- the
0: door shuts,
1: yeah, exactly. And I think too much of the debate on on climate change, I think in Ireland, is the kind of the President Jimmy Carter kind of view of climate change, that it's about wearing the jumper and taking short showers and turning the lights off and all this here kind of stuff. And it puts all this pressure on people to do these things. Mm-hmm. That I just, you know, it's obviously it's all very important. But in, in the end, like it's not huge whether my light from my office is on or not. Mm-hmm. When the government spending two and a half billion on fossil fuel subsidies, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I, I just, at times, it's you know, and I don't understand how so many people in the climate movement don't get this—that it just doesn't add up. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I I can share like a funny story because uh, I think it was uh, I don't know, a year, probably two years ago at this stage. I run an experiment for probably two years just short of two years when I was like religiously switching off all the lights and everything like you don't use it you switch off and and you know at some point it just it was just you know borderline crazy and I was doing that to find out will I see any impact on my electricity bill yeah and the answer is no I, I haven't like perhaps you know like I haven't mm-hmm. done this like a, in a scientific way. It was just like, I look at that bill and say like, oh, I see it's lower, right? I know I see that for the past three months, I'm getting lower electricity bill than I used to. No. But I've been
1: in the dark for the past yeah. three months.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. So that's that's kind of uh, your, so I'm sure, you know, no doubt I was consuming less electricity, but not even that much that I would notice that on my bill. So that kind yeah. of reinforces your, your point that, you know, Quit preaching to, to little folks, but like you said, when the government spends millions and billions of, of dollars or euro on stuff that is actually contradicting this.
1: So. Yeah, it's it, it's not like a woman in Tamman turns off the light in the kitchen and a power station shuts down. <laughs> you know, all right, you know, going out, turned off. You know, it's yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it just has so little yeah. impact. I, I just think at times it, it isn't really logical, but hey, like I say, it is useful that people are aware of these things that electricity consumption can be tied to our emissions. Yeah, but- so
0: as long as they can draw the parallel between what they do to the bigger, uh, to the, to the bigger scale. And yeah. in, in that chapter, you made a, uh, quite a few uh, excellent points, and I must admit I learned a lot from your book. Um, and when you read stuff like this, so for example, uh, dairy and beef, we Ireland is exporting ninety percent of it, mm-hmm. and Ireland is probably one of the biggest exporters in, in, in the world, uh, which is separate conversation. But then we're importing some, and like if if you have it like a like straight up like in front of it, like hang on a second. So we exporting ninety percent of it. And then we're bringing back some, like, how does that make sense at all? Right? Plus yeah. all the cost of, of, you know, this this uh, miles that the food is traveling, obviously, right? What the heck?
1: De- definitely. Like, it, um, definitely it's, it is illogical at times. And I think, you know, it's a lot of the stuff, or some of the stuff that were important is coming from Britain and stuff like that there. And that's going to become more difficult mm. shortly. So, you know, I think it's important that we're making sure that the food we're producing, you know, we're staying here. Now, I'm not trying to establish a self-reliant country or anything like that there, mm-hmm. but I think it just at times it's something to be aware of that, you know, we need to produce all this beef for it to be sent away. And yet we're bringing so much back in that isn't sustainably, yeah. you know, produced like it is here. You know, like when we're getting cows out in fields mm-hmm. for most of the year and stuff like that, there. like that's what we want. Yeah. You know, that's that's the idea. That's the goal. And when we're doing that here, I think we should be trying to we should be encouraging that that's the beef the before eating. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, that was that was and another another point that you made uh, very clear. And I heard that not long ago in a slightly different form that a lot of times being a farmer is not really a job like we know it's a job. Kind of, but it's not like a job. Like someone said, like it's not my job. Is it's who I am. You know, they mm-hmm. go on the field, and and you're you're quite clear on, on that. So, I think that any farmers can 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 go ahead and read the chapter and not dread it because I think that you 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 presented that in a, a fair way. Yeah. One thing though, I have for you. You you mentioned. Uh, you, you dedicated a part of that chapter to methane emissions on, on, from cows. And, like. and this is a little bit ties to my question on, on your research, how you're doing research. Because a lot of this stuff is not really set in stone. right? Because even if you say, like, okay, how we calculate carbon emissions how we calculate uh, methane emissions. And it's often easy you know, to pick a paper and that paper presents like, oh, this is how we do this, right? But then there's another paper that presents it in a different way. And um, it just coincidentally, I, I think like a, really a couple of days earlier, I was reading a um, paper by Dr. Miles Allen when he was talking about methane emissions. Like, oh, you know that methane emissions are working differently in a, you know, when than we thought, and that's you know, kind of like in a in a sets everything in a different light i don't want to just go into the details because i'm surely will butcher it do you envision it's vision writing in a you know year's time like a, a second edition of this book as the you know more because obviously a lot of these details in you know, lot of science of these details you know even how are we going to calculate these emissions are we going to you know offset this are we not going to offset that right because it's not like you you stick in a, a sensor on the cow and you measure and like, Oh, this is how much it is. And it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. it's very complex.
1: You know, it, and the dial telling yeah. us. What conditions are yeah,
0: exactly. So it's, it's a quite complex science and status statistics and what you take into account, what you not take into account and so on and so on. Do you see yourself perhaps in a, in a sometime you are like writing another edition of the book, and, you know, as more data becomes available or as more, because I would, I would imagine that you consider that, that that whatever you put in that book now in 2020, you know, in 2025 or in 2023 might not be the case. And it might shift either way. It may shift, in the, you know, that way or another way, if you know what I
1: mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, well, to start off with the problem of methane, Methane was a tough one because there are so many people talking about it. And I was, that, you know, took, you know, a while to get into, you know, I got views from, you know, there was books just about uh, carbon emissions, stuff I got there. There was books that are, you know, about defending beef farming, looking at the Irish Farmers Association, Chagas, getting all these views into it. And, you know, I, I even thought it was important that when I was talking about methane emissions, I talk about different timeframes and in the two different timeframes, you know, I'm referencing two different sources because I think methane, I think a lot of the time when we think something in our head, we, we look for facts to back that up and then we remember that. Confirmation mm-hmm. bias. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was the word I was looking for. And I think, you know, when people might feel Irish farming as there's a lot of green area. It's fine. You know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be good for the environment and i think when we hear things like you know methane emissions might be good then we lock on to that Yep, that guy's that guy's right mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's important to just you know to get in as many views as possible but methane is a you know a greenhouse gas and it, it acts differently mm-hmm. to carbon dioxide mm-hmm. and i think it was important that if this might be the only book that some people might read on climate change that you know i got that across that this is different and it's confusing and we're not sure on everything. And there's definitely a feeling of, you know, hey, parts of what I write in the book might be wrong. Um, you know, and I'll definitely be willing to accept that. Hope I don't have to write a second edition for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna definitely take a break. But yeah, I I think we'll see how emissions start going. Maybe, you know, in a few years I could come at it with a second edition and see, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how things are changing. Um, I think it's an interesting point when you say about what we account for and what we don't account for. Because, you know, Ireland's emissions are about 60 million tonnes. Mm-hmm. but That doesn't account for aviation emissions, which is another three and a half million tonnes, or land use emissions, mm-hmm. which is another six. We're really at 70 million tonnes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, so it's it's a difficult thing to try and absorb. And I think sometimes, maybe if we focus too much on the percentages, mm-hmm. we're, we're not really going to get the... You know, we're not going to get everything like that there. There's not going to be a day in the future
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. where, you know, we, we hit us. And, you know, it's like that Father Ted thing of, you know, the day of the Ice Age yeah. ended. It's <laughs> that, that's not going to happen here, you know, what I got time we're here, we're carbon neutral. It's going to be hard to account for everything, you know. So, you no, know, I I think I might maybe in the future, if we start to see a downward trend mm-hmm. or if we don't start to see a downward trend and I think we need another, mm-hmm. you know, another rap on the knuckles maybe to
0: get, mm-hmm. it, get yeah.
1: something and I go at it again. But yeah, listen, there are still definitely complexities in it that we need to. Yeah. Right? yeah. And we can't pretend to people, you know, yeah. that there aren't,
0: mm-hmm. you know, I think
1: it's, it's wrong for us to say, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. It's important to get across the idea of complexity and nuance. Yeah. And, things. yeah. and this is
0: one of the things, again, that, that I, the thought I had, I had when I was reading your book that, it gives like an excellent starting point. And because of of the of the of the width and depth of the of the uh, issues that you're taking on and all the references, that you know, I really think it gives an excellent starting point for anyone who wants to go deeper and you know, perhaps pick one element that interests particular person the most, whether it's a farming or renewables, whatever that is. Yeah. And go through this and like, oh, hmm, that's interesting. And then can, well, go well, through, yeah. can go through your references. And then once they go through references, then another one and another one. And kind of yeah. starting going deep, uh, which, which that your book starts. So in, in that sense, I think that even anyone who wants to, you know, like go is like, hmm, I think it's time I get my own view on this. I, I think yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a good point. Not because you tell you tell them what to think, but you kind of touch on all these areas when then the people can go and research themselves and they can come to your own conclusions and they, you know, can come to the conclusion that you were right or that you were wrong, whatever it is, but at least they're start educating themselves around around these issues.
1: Yeah, well like the, the, the original title of the book was, you know, I was always thinking of the idea of something like, you know, the handbook on Ireland and climate change, because mm-hmm how it's structured, you know, there are 10 chapters mm-hmm. and they can be read independently of each other and yes. actually a lot of people that I know have have read them like that. They've all kind of, for some reason, gone start mm-hmm. acknowledgements mm-hmm. farming mm-hmm. and then they've kind of, read, mm-hmm. which which is what I wanted because, you know, people are busy and people might only have certain things that interest them mm-hmm. and they can go, they can go to that there. But yeah, if, you know, that's what I want. I want to give people that baseline knowledge, that idea of what is parts per million you know what's what's important and what's not when it comes to our emissions what do we need to be focusing on and what do we not need to worry about so much yeah so that then you know when people maybe even just hear about things in the news and stuff it can be put into more context but yeah there's you know go to the references follow up the books there's a further reading section at the back Mm. different books follow them you know there's there's so many and there's things in them books that will contradict ideas of mine and their parts of books that will contradict each other. And that's what it's all about. There's no, mm-hmm. this isn't black and white, you know, there are lots of ideas and opinions and we got to consider them all.
0: That shows the complexity of an, of an issue. And, yeah. and you, and you're right. It's like a handbook. I think it's, it's, you, you, you put it, it's a, it's a handbook. It's a starting point. Yeah. Um, just for the, for our listeners, would you mind explaining the difference in like how CO two works and how methane works in as a as a greenhouse gas?
1: Yeah, so um, so CO two is it's carbon dioxide. It's what's emitted when we burn fossil fuels, release really. so, of you know the petrol, diesel, and coal, and it's also it's in our bogs in the carbon. So that's released. It goes into the atmosphere, and it stays there for a very long time and these greenhouse gases keep in all the heat, and that's a problem. So methane works a bit differently. It's a different chemical formula. So after about a dozen years, it breaks down in the atmosphere into carbon dioxide and water. So there's still, you know, residues, it's still resulting in carbon emissions, um, but the methane doesn't stay there as long. But the problem is that for the time that methane is there, it's much more powerful. So if you have, you know, the equivalent amount of methane as you do carbon dioxide for these dozen years that exists, it's about 80 times more powerful. It is 80 times more warming. So then it breaks down and then we're still left with, you know, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere from this methane. So the problem is that, you know, the idea is if methane emissions stay the same right now, if, you know, if there's no new cows added, if there's... You know nothing else if there's no new methane added then really we're fine because the methane will break down it'll you know it'll yeah. they call it the methane cycle now that's not quite right because again some carbon dioxide is been kept you know in the atmosphere every time we add more methane um but the the key to it is you know, so people then say well don't worry about it don't worry about agriculture don't worry about cows don't worry about methane it's not to be considered methane emissions They're rising, they're rising here, and they're rising all around the world. And because methane's so, you know, potent, because it's so strong, we have to act on it. I think what I wanted to get across in the book is these ideas of tipping points, that, you know, if we hit certain levels, whether it's in carbon emissions, whether it's drying in the Amazon, then we're locking in a lot of warming. So that's why we've got to get under, you know, we've got to get a grip on this urgently Mm -hmm. before we get, you know, kind of locked in to an awful lot more warming. And that's why we've got to get a control of methane. But yeah, it's different. They are two different gases. You know, greenhouse gases puts them all under the same kind of bracket, but they are two different things.
0: Right. So let's switch gears now and let's talk about renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, uh, structure of your book. I, I mean, like uh, I, we won't have time to go through all the uh, chapters uh, that, that are there, but I'm just going to touch on, on a couple of points. And, and really get your your views, um, because I presume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you have your own views uh, on certain issues talked in the book, but you're not necessarily pushing your own views because you're trying to present everything in such a methodical manner, right? So, and renewable energy is uh, is a big one because on on one end, it is often portrayed as the ultimate solution. Oh, we need to all switch to renewables, right? That's just like... Yeah. But then, you know, like, a, for example, Germany tried it and mm-hmm. the results were not great. Actually, their net emissions went up and they start refurbishing uh, coal plants that they're shut down. It, it just yeah. didn't work, right? And a part of that was like, damn it, if Germans can do, can't do it, nobody can do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. so, so some, some, some of that, but um so i'm I'm wondering like what is your own personal uh, what is your own personal view on 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 that because again i I just want to stress it again like like a book feels like really like a handbook that starting point and you're not trying to push your your individual points of view but i'm wondering like what is your you know feelings about the you know massive development of all the renewable uh energy is it yeah. for for
1: that or not germany germany is an interesting point i remember years ago i had this national geographic subscription and one of them was all about climate change and one of them was about this coming uh, energy vita in germany i, I butchered the, the pronunciation of that uh, even though i'd done german leaving said but it was you know germany tried this huge amount you know this increase in renewables now it also happened that because of Fukushima, they cut back on their nuclear energy. So then they, they kind of, I think they refurbish, like say, the coal plants to try and create stability on the grid. Renewables are, you know, definitely can cut a lot of emissions. And the, the interesting thing about them is the technology is there. You know, we're not waiting on new renewables. I think solar is one of the cheapest forms of energy in the world right now. But uh, yeah, it's not going to solve everything because electricity isn't all of our emissions. I think it's around 12%, I can't remember offhand. hand. Um, but the important thing is, is that we need, you need to have stability on the grid because what happens when the wind stops blowing, You know, then if you're running all in wind turbines, you run into a bit of a problem. So that's why at the minute, it's uh, renewables can only make up around 65% of the grid. So we need to start finding ways to store that electricity so that we can use it and that's that's the key so if we don't do that we're going to be stuck using natural gas to create that stability because we need it we need stability you know and that's yeah. so in my view the the only way we can do that at the minute is with hydrogen is with using excess ele- renewable electricity to create hydrogen and then using that as a fuel like we would natural gas and then that's how we you know so we have really too much renewables. We generate hydrogen, and then if the wind stops, hydrogen kicks into gear and right. gets us—you know—gets us going. And hydrogen's a great fuel that can be used for heating and other things that get there. Yeah. So the so, and I think when we look at renewables, we do have huge potential in Ireland with our offshore wind. That's I think where we need to be focusing on. The past few weeks brought that into stark reality when we seen what happened in Mean Bog with the bog slide, mm-hmm. which seems yep. to be uh You know, one turbine and maybe a part of the coniferous plantation as well. So
0: no, it was crazy. Like for people who didn't who didn't see that, they should they should look
1: it up because check the, it out. You, It's just unreal.
0: It's like an entire, almost like a forest, and like this sliding.
1: Oh, uh, just trees standing. It yeah. yeah, it's just it is insane. Unreal is the only word because that is all it looks like. Mm-hmm. And listen, that's an example of you know of uh industrialization and it's example of what happens when we you know not everything about there's i think when we think on climate change we think on environmentalism and conservation when they're not actually the same thing at all and i think because a lot of the time and i don't like using the word the media but if when this has been talked about in the media in the past because it's been pushed to a corner like everything has been pushed in the same corner so there is that balance of, you know, conservation and climate change isn't the same thing. And there's a debate that, you know, we're going to have to have and we need to have better rules and better policies in place. But renewable electricity has huge potential to cut emissions. We should want it because we shouldn't be burning fossil fuels for any reason. Yeah, You know, we shouldn't want air pollution. We shouldn't, you know, I think we see a problem when we're, you know, giving countries like Saudi Arabia huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think any of us want that. So
0: yeah. we. we... Well, it's funny Saudi Saudi Arabia is funny because they have a, like a biggest uh, unexplored uh, oil uh, fields in the world, and yeah, and exactly. they're start they start driving uh, prices of oil down because like even the, I I read it somewhere that they officially their their uh, pop you know, obviously they're, they have a whole uh, media machine and publications and everything, which is like, no, no, you know, uh, uh, fossil fuels are here to stay. We're going to be using them for the next hundred years, yada, 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 yeah. yeah. On one end, but on the other hand, they know good and well what's coming and they're driving, yeah. you know, they, they famously they decided to not adhere to the limits of the uh, amount of oil they're, they're taking out because like someone said, like, they know that oil sold cheap is better than oil not sold at all. So they're kind of pushing like, so, so Saudi yeah, Arabia is one
1: of them. Like clean energy is the future because it's just making, you know, economical sense at this point. You know, it's just, it's just cheaper. So, you know, more companies are going for it. So when we're starting to now divest from fossil fuels and now that subsidies are moving away from it, it's harder for these countries to keep making money off it. And we're going to see, you know, more and more people pushing towards renewables, but yeah, it's, Hey, it's, it's like everything in it. It's complicated. There's not going to be, there is no silver bullet to this, you know? Yeah.
0: And I guess that's, that's what you're, your, you know, I'm going to keep harping on how, how, how great your book is structured (laughs) and, and discusses all these points because it really blew me away. Um, What's your, what's your take on uh, nuclear energy? I, I get that you prefer that you think that the hydrogen is, is the thing rather than nuclear.
1: So nuclear was, was originally in the electricity chapter, but it was taken out because, it was, like I said earlier, I didn't want to be painted as, a, as an alarmist, as an extremist, as somebody who didn't know what's going on. I think nuclear energy is pretty good. I think it's, you know, it provides a stable electricity source, but it's it's politically, well, some people call it politically unpopular. It's political suicide, I think, especially for an Ireland with a country so small. So I just think that there's, for Ireland, there's just no point in even talking about it. You're not going to win anyone over and you're only going to push people away. You know, so I think... I think the nuclear energy can definitely be be something uh that we should consider. You know, I think Bill Gates is doing, you know, is funding an awful lot of interest and research into this. Um, although maybe, you know, in these days you might want to associate yourself too much of Bill Gates with the conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, like it almost like whatever you touch is the, is like either unpopular or conspiracy or someone oh, going to yeah. get upset. Like, what the heck? You can't talk about anything now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Do you ever knows we're, we're doing this over Zoom, not Microsoft Teams, in case they think it's yes.
0: Exactly, exactly. We're doing <laughs> it over Zoom. Yes, yes. We're not sponsored, or we're not pushing. No, yeah. but you know about the um, uh, nuclear power again i'm I'm just i'm just just want to mention something uh for the interest of our of our listeners and viewers and you you might comment on it if you want that to me it's a little bit like with uh because we know about these big disasters right chernobyl fukushima and uh what was the the other one in 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 britain but this is a little bit like with safety of air travel right? Everybody hears when the plane crashes because there's like 300 people dies. But then if you compare how safe it is to fly versus how safe it is to drive a car, there's not even a comparison. It's way safer yeah. to fly. Yeah. And I think this the similar situation is with the, with the nuclear power because we hear about all this. Oh, but if you look at the actual amount of deaths, including deaths caused by the air pollution, caused by any other source of energy versus, versus nuclear power, that's not even comparison. Yeah. And, and another interesting point I, I, I read about the uh, waste from the, uh, that yeah, okay, we have this waste that is, that is radioactive, but actually there is very, very little of that waste compared to the amount of energy produced. It's almost nothing, yeah. especially if you compare that to carbon dioxide emission, it's almost nothing and on exactly. top of that we know how to safely store it long term so yeah. these not this... just
1: been chucked in the sea you know we're not yeah. just jumping it in the beach or something like that there it's yeah. like and it's, it's like you say you know it's when we look at the disasters and you know like when we look at 1300 people die every year in Ireland of air pollution and that's 1300 people of air pollution and that's caused by the fuels we're using to power ourselves at the minute. So, and you know, this is a problem that we come up with, say, when we talk about wind energy, this was one of the things that people would have said to me, you know, working in, in the public, that the oh, should so the emissions been made off them's huge. So is the emissions when you make a power station. So is the emissions when you import fossil fuels, when you burn the fossil fuels. You know, the, just because something's a status quo at the minute, doesn't mean that that's the baseline. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that, that's, that everything above that is what we should consider. Like an awful lot of carbon goes into the way we live our lives as normal. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't just take that as as the norm, as the norm you know, or as is is how things need to be done. But yeah, nuclear energy is something that's really interesting. I think, I think we just lost the argument on it, you know. And it's another debate over, you know, environmentalism versus climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, an awful lot of people that we would have seen... That maybe we're leading the maybe environmentalist movement mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s would have been anti-nuclear. Mm-hmm. You know, or uh, in the even back to the 60s would have been anti-nuclear. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same as working on climate change. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's all it's all become a bit muddled at the minute. And again I just I think it's unfortunate that maybe we just lost the argument on that one. But I just don't think there's you're not going to win anyone over, especially not in Ireland over the point is, we're actually, we do use a bit of nuclear energy in Ireland when we import, because yeah. we're importing electricity yeah. from France and from England, yeah. We have nuclear reactors. So we do use a little bit of it. But I think we're better off just staying like that, because I think if I mention it, you know, if I've mentioned it in the book, it's very easy for people to go, this guy's a lunatic. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, to be honest, I
0: didn't realize that, that nuclear energy in Ireland is so controversial. Uh, You just kind of enlightened me on that. Um, But you're making an excellent point uh, that I never heard before, uh, you know, so uh, clearly spelled out that the climate change and environmentalism or or working on the environment are two different things. Yeah. And so I have a question for you, Um, or or maybe not a question, but, but really a kind of discussion point. Let's say uh, solar panels, right? And we talk about and, and often like biodiversity loss and climate change are lumped together. Like, oh, we, you know, we need to address biodiversity loss and climate change, climate change and biodiversity loss. Like almost like they're the same thing, right? And then it comes to uh, uh, solar power, right? And and also. People who are aware of the environmental movement, we know about issues we have with Sitka Spruce Plantation, this this, timber plantation, really. It's it's not the woodland and the pollution and everything and and so on and so on. And so we know that, that all those trees, which are, well, trees, are a problem. And again, practice how we planting them and what we do with them. Then on the other hand, we say, oh, solar power, solar power. And then when you're, and you you're saying in your book about solar power panels on the, on the roofs of the houses, that's fine. But then, you know, there's a lot of talk about the solar panels on, you know, vast areas of land. Yeah. Right. And if you think about it, that toxic and bad Sitka spruce plantation is almost like a paradise compared to the vast amount of, of land covered by solar panels. Yeah. Definitely yep. nothing gonna live there. Plus, they're they're extremely toxic as a waste because that solar panel works for I don't know, five years, ten years. Then it's, it's not
1: a fine way to dispose of it. Yes like it, it's super toxic. Yeah. It's it's definitely a problem. And I think again this is something that when we go back to how we burn fossil fuels, it's not great for any animals. You know our current way of doing it, and it's like energy is a tough thing to produce. It's a tough thing to try and create enough energy to power homes, to power cars, mm, yeah. and there's always going to be some kind of a an offset on that. There, I think you know there's there's no such there's no free energy that we can get, <laughs> and it's it is important that you know we don't try and pretend that you know again it's this thing of we can't. Talk down to people. We're not talking to the lowest common denominator. The job is to raise it. We're, we shouldn't try and hoodwink people and say, "Don't worry about it. Solar panels are fine. Don't, this is good. It's good for the environment. It's good for nature." It's it's not their disagreements in this, and that's what we've got to consider. There's you know, it's like I said earlier. There's all these nuances, so that's why you know, so wind energy, we shouldn't be having it in bogs. That's an obvious statement. I don't know why it was ever allowed. And that's why I think another it's another reason for offshore wind. You know, it's it's away from us, so we don't see it, but also it's not on our soil, it's not affecting our animals. And that's why I would especially be just a huge fan of offshore wind energy for that reason. Yeah, solar panels are great on houses, and that's probably how they're going to be for, for Ireland. We're not going to have these kind of vast tracts. But yeah, I, I know the, the video you're talking about, the pictures, you know, we're just going to, the solar panels cover the hill. Mm-hmm. i seen it on twitter yeah and it's we shouldn't pretend that they're good for biodiversity because they're not and the debate <laughs> is do we do we is that something that we take you know do we reduce biodiversity to reduce emissions mm-hmm. it's not an easy decision
0: yeah um, you know. I, I'm, I'm actually blown away that you said it but that's a that's a that's a that's a point that's actually something i i i i, I want to ask you like do you and, and you know, there is no good or bad answer, and, and but I, this is something to consider. Like, are we willing to take a hit on biodiversity or yeah. or, or habitat in yeah. some areas to reduce emissions and 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 build? This is like super difficult. There's no good answer yeah, did, to that.
1: Would you allow electricity in Ireland to be entirely carbon neutral if it meant the extinction of X amount of bird species? You know, because at you know, at times we've got to consider that. We've got to consider that maybe this mightn't be great for biodiversity for we're yeah. with wind farms. Mm-hmm. And that yeah there's not it's not gonna be an easy choice. You know, it's it's not all easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, and but yeah, it's like but that's why we've got to talk about it. We can't you know, it's like these here the wind farm that we've seen in mean bog, you know, it was just it seemed to have been pushed through. And you know it wasn't talked about enough. The board planned and listened to the debates, and that's why we have to have these debates. And it's a responsibility of you know people talking about climate change to talk about biodiversity. And it's it's a value problem as well that for mm-hmm. some people biodiversity isn't a huge problem. For some, it is. Yes. Um, yeah. Environmentalism and climate change are not the same thing, and yeah. that you know yeah. it's good to get into that
0: excellent excellent point like on the renewables i think that the title and like my you said in your book that this is not easy but i i feel like you know i'm a fan of of nuclear power to be honest i'm, I'm a fan of nuclear power i think because it's so well established and well understood that, you yeah. know, we, we like you said, the technology is there. It's, it's all political, but we probably could replace everything that is coal-powered with nuclear, no problem, because it, yeah. the technology is established. We know how it works. We can build, like, it's technically possible, and I would love to see it, but it's obviously not going to happen for all those reasons. But if you ask me what I think is like a holy grail that we're really not tapping into almost at all, and you can explain in a second why, because it's difficult. It's a tidal power. It's the power of the tide. And I realized the power of the tide one day when I seen a number of ships anchored uh, on the, you know, waiting for, to get into the port.
1: Okay. And, yeah. and obviously
0: each ship is like thousands and thousands, tons. And they were all pointing one direction. And then I came out like, you know, 12 hours later, later this day, and they were all pointing the other way. Yeah. And I realized like all, like how much energy is required to just, just swing those ships.
1: Yeah, if you try to with a machine, it would be a, you know- yeah, millions
0: mentality. of tons. Just, and yeah. just it just shifted like that in a, in a time frame of hours, right? It's like, whoa, that's some serious power there. If we could harness that, that would be awesome. So maybe yeah. now you can explain why it's so difficult
1: So there's so again when we go back to this environmentalist point that generally disrupting tides is can lead to an awful lot of consequences so we don't know about things like beaches and stuff like that there you know are a lot can happen if we can if we slow down the water and stuff like that there. For me, it's the problem of economics of scale. It's, you know, in the same way, you know, you talk about nuclear, we know how to do wind and we know how to do it well, you know, and we can do it in big scale. Whereas tidal yeah. hasn't really been done on that level before. So it's going to be very hard in the next, say, 20 years, which is the timeframe we need to be thinking on to expand that to national levels. But, you know, I, I definitely agree. Tidal, just the, the net amount of energy coming in off the Atlantic is huge. Yeah. You know, um, actually, I used to work as an oyster farmer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know all about the, you know, the comings and goings of the tides. And it is unreal how quickly, you know, it can move. And it's, yeah. and the damage it can do and the power that it has is yeah. is awesome, I think, is the word uh, that springs to mind. But yet it, it is a real source of power that we should be thinking. And I think it's something that we should be spending more money on research and development of. I think maybe it's something maybe as a country that we could start looking into. Um, but for me, anyway, wind energy, given the time frame we're thinking on, is what we got to be looking at. But yeah, yeah. hey, there's it's like, there's plenty of options there, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. One other thing I, I I want to touch on is is transport, and obviously, you know, surprise, surprise, we have a chapter about transport. Um, but you know what? While, while reading about the transport and all the points that you're making about the cars and journeys and, you know, like uh, and other excellent points, you made like, if we get into the electric cars, they're really like a, you know, set of batteries that are sitting there and can be used for something useful that like overarching thought I had when I was reading that chapter was that really a lot of this is down to, the way we used used to live our lives we, we 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 you know like a and how wasteful that is right yeah. you have you have this like a big range rover or whatever like a big massive car and there's like one guy takes a mm-hmm. you know a seven mile journey yeah. and then and like, then takes a seven you know. mile journey back that's yeah. it right it was like what like it doesn't make sense like how many people can you sit in that car seven right yeah how much time that car actually moves like oh, 20 minutes a day like really <laughs> like yes, how does yes, that exactly. even if you think about this in this
1: terms like uh, how does that even make sense uh the jeeps and land rivers and they're all they're all becoming so much more popular at the minute uh which is which is strange i think everybody just likes been higher up I, I i don't know why you need a tank to get to <laughs> to, to do this school run but no, no. motoring
0: trend, like moderate trends are outside of the outdoors theme but like, i agree <laughs> yeah. they're they're just they're
1: just ridiculous. maybe it's just a, a kind of a whole lot of simultaneous midlife crisis is going on at the one time yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like that yeah but like hey, it's it's um but the bigger the car, the more energy we need. And they're going to make it tougher to be electric. It's going to put more strain on the batteries. So, you know, I, it's, it's a tough one. It's, I think it's the same way with electricity is that if you convert the fuel, it doesn't really matter what you do with it. You know, like if we're, if we have carbon neutral electricity, it doesn't really matter how long we leave the lights on or whatever because it's carbon neutral. It's the same with cars. If we do get them running on electricity, you know, then it, it doesn't really matter how much we, we use them because it's carbon neutral. But yeah, it's like then that's a problem of manufacturing. You know, that we have to build these cars and the bigger the car, the more carbon emissions that are gonna come of it. And there's no easy way to make steel or you know, make metal and tires and all that, that kind of stuff carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, manufacturing is just a problem that it's really gonna to have to be offset more than it's gonna be reduced. So cars again, are kind one of those areas that it's more about not having more of them. But then that's a problem that we talk about when we think in rural Ireland a lot that, you know, like Eamon Ryan talked about, you know, people carpooling and stuff like that there. And, you know, people think that the, you know, greens are environmentalists or climate change people are going to take away their cars and stuff like that there, which, which isn't what I want. Like I, I'm waiting to do my driving test now and I'm driving an electric car. You know, I'm not going to pretend, you know, mm. that I'm better than anyone else. You know, we all admit because that's the options that are available to us. Yeah, It's, hey, car is a tough one, you know. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I just can't no, remember. But I mean, like, I,
0: I guess, you know, the this is, again, changing, you know, that I read somewhere that the young generation, like people like you and and, and even, you know, who are already older than you, they're less likely to have a car, uh, especially in an urban environment. Than, than yeah, well, like when I was in
1: college in Belfast, you know, like I was last year, you know, I, I walked everywhere. Yeah. Um, I didn't even take a bus because I, I couldn't figure out how to read the bus timetable. Uh-huh. I just had to walk. Um, but yeah, like when you're in the city, you, you have that kind of the comfort of not needing to use a car. Mm. In rural Ireland, that's just not, I don't think it's a possibility. And I don't think we should pretend that public transport can you know fill the gaps of Mm -hmm. having a car that's Mm -hmm. just not my experience of it anyway and from anyone i've spoken to you know it's not their experience of it either that having a private car is just necessary for life Mm -hmm. so you know we need to give incentives for people to you know get electric models now because even if you give someone say a diesel hybrid Mm -hmm. that could be another 10 years you know before they might consider getting a new car yeah it's like they said this kind of twenty year time frame that we gotta be thinking. We've got to start yeah. doing it quickly. And like I'm not gonna begrudge anyone for not getting an electric car. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy a car and it's not gonna be electric. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna be able to afford one. no yes. so I'm not you know, I'm not gonna, you know, preach from top of the altar that you should when I'm not going to. But that's yeah. what.
0: Man, I, I, I i'm really I'm really happy for that conversation because it is it is really refreshing, I must say it is really refreshing and you know there's a lot of things uh, that that i uh, I, I want to touch on, but it's probably no no point now because it, like to this point I think the, the for me the most refreshing point that you make is admitting that conservation, environment and climate change are two different things and certain practices that will uh, lead us towards lowering emission might be bad on the environment right batteries lithium what you go, where are you going to get all the lithium you, you mentioned in your book nickel, nickel and cobalt yeah. you, you know you need to get it from somewhere you need to put it somewhere once once you're done with it yeah. and these are hard things these are hard things and there are no like an answer and you know, I don't want anyone to uh, go away after listening to this podcast uh, thinking that you're giving an, uh, all the answers. Yeah, because you're not. You just, just It it is it is just a, so that book is just a starter of of very important and very interesting and difficult conversation. But the conversation that we we all need to have. Um, listen, what's in general? You know, what is your you said at the at the at the top of the show that you're generally optimistic, um, mm-hmm. but surely you, you're not 100% optimistic, right? What's your, you know, do you ha- do you have thoughts that perhaps it's you know it's we can't we have in theory we say these things, but really we we you know we can we can't do this. And I have a like an interest inter, interesting uh thing that i that i wanna share with you, but I'm not gonna let you first speak first like
1: yeah so it's, it's like I said it's that I'm, i think I would describe myself as being as being hopeful more than being optimistic because i think that it's you know i'm hopeful because it's like i said the solutions are there, and hey we've you know we've 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 gone in depth in this and the fact that Everything from the politics of it to the solutions, there's no black and white. It's all nuance. And I'm not going to pretend that it that it isn't. But the, the solutions are there in the sense of you know, we have we can go f- with clean energy and stuff like that there. So it is just about getting it across to to politicians, to you know, to people that are making the decisions that this is what needs to be done. And this isn't just about you know, getting the Green Party into government, mm-hmm. because I think even a problem with that is that if they're fighting for climate change, I think it naturally puts everybody on the other side. Mm-hmm. But it's about getting everybody. It's about getting because if you're not controlling the power strings, it's very hard to make any decisions. You know, it doesn't matter if you run the Department of Climate Action mm-hmm. if you're not making the budget. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you're, you're not having a huge amount of change. Everyone, every party, from and, you know, every politician from the Taoiseach to the County Councillor just has to know that climate change is a problem and people care about it and that the solutions are things that people want because it genuinely will bring about, I think, better lives for everybody.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, man, um, is, there anyth- is there anything else that you wish I asked you or, or you wish we, were, we, we talked about but we didn't? So no, now we now now you can now you can go. <laughs> if you missed anything,
1: I'll, I'll just spend the next half hour. Now I've got it. You know, I'm just I can make a speech now. No, <laughs> um, so, uh, if I could, uh, one thing—it's so inconsequential, but mm-hmm. uh, that no one really has noticed—is that the the sections of the book are are Bob Dylan albums and my Uncle Sean. Ah! Like that. So that was. I just wanted to bring that up because. Uh, I was I was quite proud of that, and not a lot of people not a lot of people got it. So that's mm-hmm. that's the most important thing I think everyone should take from this. Listen to more Bob Dylan. Don't oh. worry, but <laughs> awesome, awesome. Me and Tommy have got climate change covered. Go and listen to Bob Dylan. I guess.
0: very good. Very good. That's a very good point. Uh, so for, for all the folks, uh, time nor tide, Ireland, and climate change. What's a, it's a story? Is there's a story about the uh, title?
1: The title "Time or Tide" is from the oyster farm. So we'd be working. So you work in the oyster farm. You go out when the tide is going down, and then you work until the tide comes back in, so it doesn't. So that the tractor mm-hmm. doesn't get you know stuck. So the phrase is "Time nor Tide waits for no man," uh-huh. and well, the joke on the oyster farm used to be that you know. The title, wait for a few good men because you know we were the few good men, it'll wait on us till we're done. Um, so, the joke in the ice was always that I was going to get a tattoo of all of these different phrases from the ice and is one of them. So, um, if, if you see me on the next, maybe the next time we do the podcast, I'll have a big chest tattoo. No, on, the, on your chest
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Listen, listen, folks. So, uh, uh, Amazon for now, and a, and a bookshop's in Donegal, but you're working on it. Uh, yep. As as more uh, how people get in touch with you on, on social media and other. No, uh, so I'm
1: on uh, I'm on Twitter at Harkin underscore Ben and I'm on Instagram at Ben underscore Harkin. Uh, so you'll find me on them there. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: So so folks, uh, go and buy the book. Uh, we we I'm I'm putting that that episode in the beginning of December, so it's a great time to buy uh, Christmas presents, and I think that's very. Very good present um, to get people thinking and and like we you know we we, we covered a lot. It's a it's a yeah. great book. It's a book it's almost
1: perfectly inside a stocking as well. That's just right. A... So like you
0: covered you covered everything. You covered everything with that book. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm on
1: fol- the on this. I'm thinking
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> right. So folks, get the book. Time nor tide, Ireland and climate change. Ben Harkin. Ben, thank you very much for your time. It was it was great conversation. I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from the book and, and I'm sure that people will, will learn a lot. And and I mean, like folks, don't be don't be scared of that book, right? I just want to get, you know, finish up with that. Like, don't be scared that this is not like a alarmist book. This is not a book that's going to tell you that you need to stop hitting your house. It's a book that tries to lay out all the difficult problems with with the references and and you know where the data and when everything came from and if you're interested or or even if you disagree with some of those points you can go in and do your own research and make up your mind so uh ben great job and thanks a lot for doing this
1: right. thanks very much for having me on brilliant to get to talk about it thank you thank you